You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hello, and still a happy new year. Welcome to episode three of the Manage Mental Podcast, a weekly discussion on hot topics in the music biz for the up-and-comers, the brand newbies, the beginners, and the aspiring rock stars of tomorrow. Yes, the struggle is real, my friends, but let us help you make some sense of this mysterious and competitive business of rock and roll. I am your host, Mr. Blasco. I drink my coffee black with a splash of almond milk creamer. I am a band manager by day and a heavy metal hired gun by night, and I'm damn glad to meet you. I am joined by my colleague, the co-host from the other coast, a former tour manager, a record label owner, an artist manager, and long distance runner, Mr. Mike Mowry. Hey, hey, hey. It's always interesting to me to say Happy New Year. Even though it's still in January, it feels as if that was so far ago. Do you agree? (laughs) I do, man, I do. In this week's episode, we get into a discussion about metal. Inspired by an article written by Michael Nelson on Stereogum.com. It might get heated, but it should be a fun discussion regardless. So let's get mental. Well, hello again, Mr. Mike. How are we feeling? Anything of interest going on this week? Well, I upgraded to a brand new MacBook Pro, so I wanted to make sure that everything was still going to work for our recording of the discussion here today. And it appears as if with one little dongle, I can still plug in my USB-based Bumblebee mic and get some nice, clear sounds capturing my voice and that's really been the main thing for me this week what about yourself yeah man you know just more of the same um you know nothing uh nothing terribly uh exciting but hey man we're gonna we're gonna uh we're gonna keep podcasting so i'm looking forward to that i had a question for you how uh have you seen anything of interest anyone picking up uh what we're putting down out there on the old interwebs Yes, I've got a couple of uh, questions that have come in, all of which have been very, uh, very, very cool, very, very cool questions that we can dig into. And that um, someone was asking about Bandcamp, so I'm going to get uh, a Bandcamp uh, representative on the phone. Someone was asking about legal issues, and you know, a little bit of education on that of you know when early on does legal come into play. So I think we've got some uh, some good input from the listeners. So I'm stoked about that. Yeah, that's great. And all of you new listeners or those of you who are returning, one of the best things you can do for not only us, but also all of these other people who we want to tune in is if you like this show and like what Mr. Blasco and I are doing here, please head over to the iTunes store for podcasts and rate and review the podcast. We've already got some really good ones up there. And from my limited understanding as a uh, podcast network mogul, 
that helps with uh, you know some of the searchability and all of that when it comes to people finding out about us. So thanks for the positive response thus far. I know I'm really enjoying it. I love getting your insight, Blasco, and love the conversation that we uh, go back and forth on. So I'm looking forward to this week's episode as well. So uh, so look, today is potentially going to be a doozy. So uh, let's just get into it. This is an article I stumbled upon on Stereo Gum for their top 40 metal albums of 2016. I'm not a, uh, uh, you know, honestly, I'm not an avid Stereo Gum reader, but my wife turned me on to this article. So, uh, you know, kudos to her. Before the author gets down with the actual countdown of his top 40 metal albums, he gets a little dark on the state of metal in general, and it makes a good topic for today. Uh, We will link the article in the show notes as usual for all those interested in checking it out. So let's rock. It's a little wordy. Um, You know, it's stereo gum and it's uh, hipsterish. Anyway, yeah, I I, got to admit, I don't pay much attention to the site. Obviously, I'm familiar with it. I did read your synopsis, which was great, and then went and read his article following that. And my God, if you're talking about wordy, you got to you got to have a couple (laughs) a couple (laughs) spare uh, minutes to hours in order to get through it all. But it was an interesting read. And I look forward to kind of discussing some of the particular points that you pull out of there. For sure, man, for sure. So let's break it down a little bit. It starts off like this. It's hard to pinpoint any real positive gains and all too easy to identify negative developments and trends. Metal never had the strongest center in the first place. By nature, the music exists in constant conflict with itself. But in 2016, much of its recently gained traction was lost, almost invisibly. Here's an example of what I mean. In July, the organizers of America's biggest extreme metal gathering, the Maryland Death Fest, announced that their annual event would be altered considerably in 2017. Next year, there will be no outdoor element to MDF. The entirety of the four-day festival will take place in two clubs, the 1,500-capacity Rams Head Live and the 700-capacity Baltimore Soundstage. Removed from the proceedings is the massive Edison lot, the open air space that had served as MDF's central grounds for the past few years. Maryland Death Fest is not gone, but minus an outdoor component, it will be less of a destination, less of a mecca. It will still draw a crowd because its lineup is still outstanding, but it will necessarily be a much smaller crowd. My goodness. It's such an interesting way to start this, frankly. I mean, there's so many questions and variables that go into it in my mind. First and foremost, Baltimore is essentially in my backyard. Living in the Washington, D.C. area, it's a short drive, probably shorter than many of your drives to your meetings from wherever you are to you know the, the places that you have to go all over the, the greater Los Angeles region. And I have to admit i've actually never been up to maryland death fest but know for years that it took place at a club called sonar and sonar was a really cool club that had three different rooms all of varying capacities and myself and a couple people did a number of shows there and we loved it because you could have the thousand cap or 800 whatever it was sort of main stage you could have a little bit smaller three to four hundred cap second stage and then there was a really small room that you could use for green room or vip or 
even if you wanted an even smaller showroom. And then the beauty of it was the location for Sonar was just off of a massive parking lot. And that's where the outdoor element and the indoor element really combined themselves for Maryland Death Fest. That's my understanding. And when Sonar closed, they had to find an alternate location. And you can see just from where it still exists in 1500 cap Rams Head and 700 cap Baltimore Soundstage, which are a block apart. I'm sure this, I'm very curious as to, you know, what the you know, the Edison lot entailed, some of the costs that go along with it, and what the psychology and more so the economics that play in for them to have to kind of make this decision. But what I don't see is that this is a sign that metal is losing traction as a whole. Um, you know, that's just kind of, uh, you know, the state of the business, right? So anyway, he goes on, he says, to get an idea of how decentralized metal became in 2016, you need look no further than Decibel's list of the year's 40 best albums. When I saw the magazine's year-end list, I was pretty surprised. A decent number of the selections were totally unknown to me, and I'd written off a decent number of others as more or less unremarkable. Did you count how many of those albums that you knew and or listened to? I mean, Decibel's list was Decibel's list, right? And Stereo Gum's list was their list, and... My list was mine, right? Like I had a I had a top 16 of 2016. You know, to be completely honest, I didn't know everything on Decibel's list. I didn't know everything on Stereo Gum's list. And I'm sure a lot of people didn't know a lot that was on my list. And I think maybe that's just a sign of how much music there is out in the world, which on some level is kind of exciting, I think, if you look at this in a positive way of like, it, on a lot of those lists, I was like, hey, man, I've never heard of some of these bands. And I went and checked checked them out, and I found a bunch of cool stuff that I didn't know about. So that's kind of what it's all about, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I counted briefly this morning on, on Decibel's list. I knew less than half. And I must admit, I knew less than that on Stereo Gum's list. But I think what's interesting, you know, and we, as a guy who owns a record label and releases titles from all over kind of the independent music genre, we have one release that's coming out, Lorna Shore, which, you know, is sort of a deathcore band. And we had an internal discussion with our distributor, who also helps with our marketing, as to whether or not Decibel readers were a target audience for us. And caused us to go through because they had suggested it as a place that we advertise and listen i'm a huge fan of what they're doing i think it's great and i'm love that it still exists in a time when it's incredibly challenged to have a print magazine exist but i had them go through and look at who else was advertising in there and what bands were in there and it really you know most of the stuff that i would consider the music that i either listen to or work with within the metal milieu it's not even really representative of what's happening in the decibel pages. Metal fails to meaningfully engage with the culture at large. Right now, it barely seems to understand how to substantively connect with its most devoted community members. You can be a serious metal enthusiast and probably not give a shit about a single one of the 40 albums on decibels list 
or our list for that matter. And look, I mean, that's kind of what I was saying is like, there's a lot of content out there. There's a lot of bands. There's a lot of music out in the, you know, blogosphere and the webosphere and in, in the interwebs. You know, there's just there's just more metal than one person can consume in a lifetime. It's just where we're at. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And I think it's appropriate in some ways that, you know, we're talking about this and this week the lineup for Chicago Open Air 2017 was announced and you want to talk about the biggest names of metal and a, this is a little bit more mainstream but they are also very good at bringing in you know some of the underground acts although it's much different than any of the bands that are well I would say most of the bands that are on decibels or stereo gums list but to me that's an indication of how metal is absolutely thriving moving into 2017 and is that you know on the exact opposite paradigm of what he's saying here and honestly i think a very interesting thing to do would be to look at all of the bands on each of these lists and see which of them the members are are actually able to make a living from being in their band because so much of this stuff to me seems so niche and it's people that i think might be doing it in a much smaller capacity than some of this mainstream stuff that we'll probably talk about here in a minute. Yeah, man. And that's what he gets into. He says, notably a number of metal bands enjoyed brief periods of commercial success in 2016. Anthrax's for all Kings debuted at number nine on the billboard 200, both corns, the serenity of suffering and Volbeat's seal the deal and let's boogie debuted at number four. Megadeth's Dystopia debuted at number three, and Deftones Gore debuted at number two. In a different world, that would mean something. Those albums would be central to our collective understanding of this music. But in this world, nah. None of these albums were included on Decibel's list. None of them are included on our list. But like then, you see that two of them were included on Rolling Stone's list. Nobody's right, nobody's wrong, but mostly my point is nobody's talking about the same music. Yeah, I mean, fair point. I think that, especially in the journalistic realm and the blogosphere, like you're saying, I think there's almost a conscious effort to avoid some of these larger titles. Obviously, I'm not the ones writing the article, and this guy's pointing out, I mean, he's bringing attention to it, so he's obviously listened to it, he's obviously paid attention to these releases, and then somehow saying that they're not worthy of making those lists. I am a little curious, because by and large, most of the artists that he's just referred to, I mean, they are legacy acts, right? You know, they've been around 20 plus years. I think Volbeat would be the exception to that rule. I am curious, though, how, you know, some of the beloved new names like Gojira, for instance, comes to mind, didn't make any of these lists. Because I think that's where you get a little bit more of that crossover. You know, I know obviously like if you were to look at the Metal Sucks, for instance, they love Gojira. And I was a little surprised not to see a mention of them or, you know, a few other artists that are on that level pushing into the mainstream, but are also, you know, critically acclaimed, didn't make any of these lists. And, you know, I get it. I get it why a few of those made the Rolling Stones list and why they didn't make Decibel's list. I mean, like Decibel and, and Stereo Gum, you know, they're elitists on some level. And it's not cool to like Anthrax and 
Volbeat, you know, like uh, on some level it's, and maybe for them, it feels like somewhat of a cop out too, right? Like they, they want to dig a little deeper into the underground, which I totally respect. So it's just, it's just a matter of perspective, but you know, like you were saying earlier, I mean, there's something really positive about the fact that man, like there's something out there for everybody, you know, there's so much music out there that it's kind of, it's, it's super exciting, right? Because it's like, man, like back in the, in the day, you know, it was like, you had a handful of bands, you know, and metal was just metal. Now there's like three million subgenres, all of which are completely full of bands and music and stuff. I think it's an exciting time. You know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't paint this as negative, not in my mind anyway. I completely agree. And, and it always takes me back a little bit. When I first started managing bands, you know, it was right around 2004, 2005. My friends in Darkest Hour asked me to come on board as their manager. And, you know, they were on OzFest and so many of the other metalcore style bands that were on OzFest, you know, really reached this almost commercial level. Or in some of them, they really did reach a commercial level, but then they quickly faded out. And you heard this wave of, oh my God, metal's dead, whatever it may be. And then the next wave came up. You had the Suicide Silences, you had the Job for a Cowboys. All of them followed suit. And really, you had these next group of headliners and then they've fallen off and now you've got you know the mastodons and whoever else they've come up and maybe that's not the perfect example but feel like every so often just because a certain sort of niche genre of metal has a bit of its heyday and then fades out you get people who aren't paying attention to what's coming next and inevitably there's always something that's coming next sure he goes on and he says but there was, in fact, one metal album released in 2016 that everybody talked about. So, fuck, man, let's talk about that one. And then he goes on to talk about how excited he was to hear the, the new Metallica record. And then he kind of rants about how much he hates Metallica. But he's a huge Metallica fan, right? So, and, and I kind of, on one hand, I kind of understand that. And I really had to wrestle a lot with what he was saying but i understand it in that this was a band that made me want to play music specifically like black sabbath and motorhead got me into the genre but metallica and slayer was were the bands that made me want to get an instrument and get in a garage with the bros and kick out the jams right so i've got a i've got a deep love for metallica they, they were very much my favorite band for a very long time and their posters were on my walls and their albums were on my turntable almost exclusively and then things started to get weird right i mean they did they did weird stuff like lulu and and like the the one with the symphony and like load and reload and like you know what i mean like it just it got kind of weird and then they did that movie where they're like in and out of rehab and like the one guy's getting like a hair transplant and like and the other guy's like drunk selling his like artwork and it was like it just became disconnected with who I thought that they were. Right. I, I think if I, you know, if I encapsulate what he's saying and, and paraphrase and a lot of his hatred for what the band has become, it's like it's tough to believe it anymore, regardless of if you like the record or not. Whenever there's a dude that's very clearly a millionaire singing about how we're all fucked, it's a tough sell, <laughs> you know, man? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. That said, 
seemed as if his main beef with Metallica was the fact that he feels they are unwilling to take any public political stance. And with the climate that we are in where, you know, the album came out right after we all found out that Trump would be our president and no one was willing to say anything negative or discuss politics seems to be the author's main dig on what inevitably sounds like was was and is one of his favorite bands. Musically, he seemed to acclaim this record and think that it is, you know, one of their handful of best albums. And it was the, you know, all of the other things that went outside of it that made him not be able to include it, which, listen, I'm totally okay with. I think you can completely judge a band in its, you know, holistic entirety. You don't have to base it just on music. If you got into a band, if they gave you a sense of, you know, rage and urgency and their lyrics early on were inspiring to you in a way that motivated you politically and then they completely abandoned that – you're uh, able to feel whatever you want about them um, and and include them in a list or not because of that. I'm totally fine with that. Whenever you're a young band and you're all living on the same couch and you're pissed off at the world and you're just going for it, there's nothing to lose. But whenever you've got like a lot of fans and you've got millions of dollars in the bank and stuff, it's like, you know, maybe taking a political stance for them is a little dicey and that they're, you know, they're afraid of being divisive and maybe, uh, you know, maybe separating themselves from their audience or something, which is kind of weird because it's like, why would you make Lulu then? Because that clearly separated yourself from your fans. Some of it might be that they are learning from their past mistakes or, you know, maybe they are paranoid to do anything that takes the train and veers it off the tracks just a little bit. Inevitably, I mean, I guess my comment is Metallica, just like the other bands that were mentioned before it with Anthrax and Megadeth and Korn and Deftones and Volbeat, it it just comes back to your point that with some of these blogs and magazines, you know, they their readership, everybody knows that music. Like you said early on, you know, we both have, have found new artists and discovered new artists just by paying attention to this article and therefore these top 40 lists. It's not as if anybody reading any of that is going to discover new music by somebody listing Metallica, right? I didn't put Metallica on my top list of last year, and it's been tough for me to get into that record for whatever it's worth. I, I really liked the first track when it came out, and and I and I've tried to listen to that record a few times, and and uh, I just it just hasn't connected with me yet, and maybe it will, you know, like Death Magnetic eventually connected with me, and maybe and maybe this one will too, but. I didn't put it on my list because I felt it was a bit of a cop-out. I felt like there's so much in the underground that's worthy of praise that Metallica putting out potentially an average record for them, like, I, I don't know, man. Like, it just it just didn't feel like it was it was worthy of getting on my list at this point, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that you can judge this record on. Oh, did they play it safe and go back to, you know, the style that made them so popular to begin with? And is that in and of itself not worthy of praise? It's funny, I I play soccer with a guy who last night on the way home asked me about the band Turnstile. This guy's an old hardcore guy. Obviously, I grew up with a lot of hardcore ties. Turnstile, you know, is a band that made a lot of waves in... The business, and I've checked the record out, I've seen them live, I definitely think what they're doing is cool, but 
I have yet to, you know, really connect with it and pay a ton of attention to it, bring it into my rotation of things to listen to, because frankly, you know, there's a lot of older stuff that I hold on to that I would rather listen to. And I pride myself on not being bitter, not being jaded. It's one of the things that I love about the business that you and I are in. In order to stay afloat, we have to pay attention to, you know, what's new and relevant. But for me, there was, you know, that particular band taking nothing away from them, you know, was something that didn't connect with me. And I think in some senses, when you look at these bands like Metallica, any of the older artists, it's like you have such a breadth of catalog to just go back to. And it's like, I don't need to go to Hardwired. You know, I can listen to so much of the other stuff that's so inspirational that Hardwired can just more or less get skipped over. (laughs) He goes on and ends it like this. I believe metal itself has the opportunity to play a vital role in shaping our collective consciousness going forward. Few art forms are so free to speak truth to power, so apt to channel rage. Where we're headed, we're going to fucking need that. Metallica may not feel comfortable in that role anymore, but there are countless other metal bands who recognize what Metallica have forgotten. Metal is not comfort music, and it's not a design sensibility either. It's fury and sorrow and rebellion and confusion and hate and joy made sound. And what he really should say is that's his definition of metal. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) You know, which I don't disagree with him that's how i want metal you know that's how i want my punk that's how i want my hardcore but there are so many other people that maybe that's not exactly what they want but i guess that's the entire point of his article sure and that's why you know and that's why it's his article and i mean look for whatever it's worth you know metal is a state of mind it's a feeling it's it's a gut instinct it's something that makes you want to drive fast or punch somebody in the face or whatever it is, it generates a feeling, right? It's not just a sense of complacency. I think that's kind of maybe what his message is. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think that's what's so interesting about all of the subgenres that continue to pop up is there are people that are trying to tap into kind of that core aesthetic yet do something that's new and different. And that's, to me, that's so incredibly powerful and cool in and of itself. Bam, I couldn't have ended it any better. Well, thanks for tuning in. We will be back here next week. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Glasgow 1313 We encourage you to send in any questions, comments you may have for us and the podcast and you can email me at askglasgow at gmail.com we've already got a few so uh keep them coming we're gonna we're gonna dig into them you know because hey people the show is for you guys and only exists as a tool for you to use to educate yourselves much respect to you for trying to make your dreams into realities mike any final parting thoughts just want to say thanks again to everyone that's checked out the podcast thus far as you may have heard at the very beginning uh, with our audio drop we are part of the jabberjaw media podcast network which is a network that i helped start and there's tons of other great podcasts on there so please go over to jabberjawmedia.com and check some of them out i also have a book an ebook available via my site outerloopcoaching.com all you have to do is head over there enter your uh, name and email address and you will be sent a download link for that ebook um it's really about you know managing artists and there's a lot of 
my mind, hopefully, uh, very useful tips in there for many of the people that we are trying to reach. And last but not least, we said it at the beginning of the show, but head over to iTunes, rate and review us for the Managemental Podcast Network, and have a great week. We'll talk to you again soon. Late. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.